Northwest Christian School Online provides online Christian education for any students ranging from kindergarten to 10th grade. The tuition is fully covered through the state of Arizona's ESA program and is affordable for families out of state. You can count on NCS Online for a rigorous, proven online program that establishes a robust biblical worldview for all students. For more information, go to ncsonline.org. That's ncsonline.org. There are desires that accord with your former ignorance. You've come to Jesus. You're a new creation. I know where I'm going. Do you? Well, G. It's yes, Monday, sir. April 3rd, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, yes, I'm a little starstruck today. I'm a little excited yeah. about about today's you episode. You are. I yeah, am. you are. I, yeah. I am. This is Today we're featuring uh, a young man by the name of Dr. David McNeil, yeah. who is the director and assistant professor of choral studies at Colorado Christian University. And we, we just found out he taught. Emma Brown he taught in, a, Emma in Brown, a class. Yeah. In a class. And, and as a matter of fact, I am a big fan, uh, having spent yeah. uh, a significant amount of money mm-hmm. and a significant amount of time spending sending my daughter to CCU was yeah. one of the best decisions we've made yeah. as a family. CCU is an amazing institution. And there, yeah. I tell you what, the faculty is stellar. And I just had so many different opportunities to meet uh, incredible professors and teachers. Yeah. And being a closet classical music aficionado. Yes, you are. You you love the the I'm, the, the K Bach. Is that the the channel? No, I'm not a big fan of K Bach. But that's the channel in that's Phoenix. That's the channel in Phoenix. Yeah, eighty nine point five. But CPR classical up in Denver, Colorado. Up in Denver. Uh, right now, Emma's a second year med student out yeah. at Liberty University, right. and so I listen to WHRO out of Norfolk, Virginia. Through the magic of the internet. Through the magic of the YouTube. Yeah, the, the, the interweb. Yeah, that's that. amazing. Yeah. yeah, but I tell you what, Dr. McNeil, we are so excited yeah. you are here. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us, not just on, on the, the podcast, but All on three chapels. Campus. All three chapels. All three chapels. Did a couple of worship songs for elementary okay, school and then a, a program for middle school and high school. And uh, got to hear some testimonies from some of the some of the students. And uh, and they've been on a week-in-a-day tour, week-in-a-day tour through California. Wow. That's right, yeah. Um, and they are heading home uh, back to back to the cold. Yeah, actually, quite cold for this time of year. Okay, so what 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 was it? What was the auspices behind this tour? What what uh, brought that together? Is it something you just always do each year? Or yeah, we would usually tour every year, and of course that was thrown off by COVID. Mm. Yeah. So we got back into it a little bit last year. We did kind of a mini tour, um, four or five days, just around Colorado. So okay. this is in five or six years now. It's the first time we've been out mm. of state, wow. and we figured, uh, especially since we're dragging the students around over part of their spring break. Uh, it was between here and the upper Midwest, and I just didn't have the heart Good to take call. him to Chicago in March. <laughs> Good call. Not even close, well, and yeah. I'm glad you didn't come in the summer here, you know, because have you have you spent any time in Phoenix in, in the summer? No, this is my first time here. Oh, really? Okay. Well, oh. you got a little bit of rain, but it's been yeah, pretty nice. Yeah, but you see plenty of rain up in Denver. I wish we would have yeah. got you blue skies. I'm so yeah. sorry. You'll have to come back. We will do yeah, that. Yeah, outstanding performance today. It was nice. Thank you. really, really good. And Chaka. Excited. Chaka was a crowd favorite. Indeed. The, uh, the, the, my the students Haitian love it, too. Creole. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. But let's hey, let's give everybody a sense of, of why we're nerding out here with Dr. McNeil in, in the International Podcasting Headquarters studios yes. of Kingdom Culture Conversations. Uh, this gentleman has a B.A. In Trin- from Trinity International University. What was your Chicago? 
Music education. Music education. Yep. Okay. Are you from okay. Chicago or are you just? I'm from northeastern Wisconsin, okay. but close. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've spent some time in Wisconsin, yeah. sir. Yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, Lake Geneva. A lot yeah. Of time Lake okay. Geneva. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Um, you've got a master's from Indiana University, mm-hmm. and you're Go a focus Hoosiers. there. Choral conducting. Choral conducting, mm-hmm. and then a doctorate yeah. in choral conducting from Yale University. Mm-hmm. What was that adventure like? It was a blast. Um, we chose it, honestly, because um, doing graduate school with kids is a bit of a challenge. Um, and Yale's program is two years of residency, including writing the document. And then um, wow. after that, it's body of work for three years to finish this, what they call a dissertation period. Wow. So I was able to finish that through my work at CCU and, and other places as well. Oh. Um, so it was a wonderful experience. Learned a lot. Got to sing a lot. Got to conduct a lot. Travel. It was fantastic. Goodness. Yeah, Yale. Mm-hmm. That's like... George Bush went to Yale? Top notch. I'm yeah. not sure. but Something yeah. like that. I think it's second one. Yeah, George Bush, George W., I think. Wow. Played so let's baseball. read the bio, though, because yeah. this is pretty There's amazing. Dr. David McNeil comes to CCU with a wide range of musical experiences. After earning a bachelor's degree in music education, K-12, from Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois, McNeil taught for five years at a Christian school in the north suburbs of Chicago. By chance, what school was that? That was Westlake, Westlake Christian Academy in Grace Lake. Mm -hmm. Uh, While there, he founded a drama department and oversaw an increase in choral singing, participation of nearly 75%. He was also responsible for the upper school band and chairing the fine arts department. While pursuing a master's in choral conducting at Indiana University, Jacobs School of Music, McNeil was employed teaching voice classes and directing or assisting with a variety of ensembles, including the symphonic choir, all-campus choir, university chorale, and the opera chorus. He also served as the choir director for St. Paul UMC in Bloomington, uh, Indiana, most recently, while completing his coursework at Yale and in addition to his own recitals, McNeil held appointments as the assistant director of the Yale Glee Club, co-conductor of the Marquand Chapel Choir, huh. and principal assistant conductor of the Yale Camerata. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, yeah, indeed. Enough? Well done. Okay. McNeil and his wife, Chelsea, along with their four boys and a girl, reside in Lakewood. And uh, what a pretty area Lakewood is. I mean, so yeah, how long have you lived in Lakewood? It. We've been there since the fall of 2018 when I uh, when we moved out there to take the position at CCU. Okay. Well, very good. From Yale. You went to yes. Yale to Colorado. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so, Dr. McGill, you clearly have a love for music yeah. and choral music in particular. How did this love for music develop? So I came to choir relatively late. Um, you know, I was one of those who was enrolled at the age of seven or so in piano lessons. Um, and if you were to ask my piano teacher from back then, she'd probably say I wasn't the greatest practicer. <laughs> so it wasn't until high school um, I got roped into a theater production, oh, wow. um, very much against my will, um, and just had the most wonderful time and started thinking, what can I do so that I'm basically in rehearsal forever as my job? Um, joined the school band, picked up the clarinet, wasn't terribly good at it, but had a great time. Um, and then when I went to do my undergrad in music education, originally I thought I was going to be a band director. Um, I got a little, they offered a little extra scholarship money to sing in the choir. Um, and I thought, okay, that's great. Um, and over the course of my time in undergrad, just completely fell in love with what happens when you put together human voices and words Mm. and the, the infinite variety of human voices and the different sounds that voices can make, um, and, and getting to deal with text. 
So uh, by the time I was done student teaching, I'd kind of been converted and took a primarily choir job. I kept working with bands as well, but um, took primarily a choir job and never really looked back. Wow. So you, in a moment, we're going to talk about Henry Purcell, but before we do, who are some of your favorite composers aside from Purcell? Sure, yeah. So the piece, there's actually a specific piece that kind of did it, um, at least started that process for me. And it, uh, Estonian composer, he's living, he's in his 80s, Arvo oh, Pert. No. Oh, Arvo. Arvo I w- Pert. Is it yeah. Pert? Mm-hmm. Spiegel M. Spiegel. Yeah, it wasn't that piece. It okay. was um, his setting of the Magnificat, Mary's song from, um, oh. from the Gospel of Luke. Um, and it was, we were on tour, uh, I was on tour as a freshman with my college choir and someone gave me the CD that that choir had recorded the previous year and they had recorded this piece and you sing or play in an ensemble and you don't necessarily get the sense for what it's like on the outside and listening to that recording, I thought, oh my gosh, is this what we're doing? Um, and it really, that it was, it was not all at once, but it was life changing. See, my favorite story about Arvo, I've always pronounced it part, but it's, is it Pert? Pert, yeah. My favorite story about Arvo Pert, he's a minimalist, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, he's got just beautifully simplistic, gorgeous music. But one of the things that in, in his region, a lot of the composers write music that's dedicated to the national myth there. Yes. And when a reporter one time asked him, why don't you write any music? about the national myth that, that every other composer in our country writes, you know, writes with that at the heart of it. And Arvo responded by saying, for me, that is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so just a clear testimony. I wow. love that. Isn't that a cool story? Yeah, it is. Wow. So you're, and you're a big Arvo. Arvo Pert. Pert. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I show, yeah. I show you're, you're a music educator. You're already educating me to pronounce Arvo Pert <laughs> yeah. correctly yeah. <laughs> from this point forward. So, um, Let's talk a little bit about one of the sentences that I, I neglected to read from your bio. It, it really caught my attention. It says, what, um, it said this, his thesis research during your doctorate at Yale focused on the musical political interpretation of Henry Purcell's anthems. And I thought, wow, that is such a finite cross-section of music. I just, I love yeah. that emphasis in that, that specificity. What drew you to Purcell? Well, the short answer is my German's not so great, and I wanted to uh, do, a, do a project <laughs> in Baroque music, and okay. the scholarship on Bach is you know, primarily in German, and Handel, that's a lot of it's in German. And uh, when I started looking at Purcell, and I've always loved his music, um, a lot of the scholarship's in English, and I thought, okay, here we go. <laughs> so wow. that, was, uh, that was part of it. But there's also, um, Purcell's a little quirky, and his stuff is so, it's so unique. You hear his music and you just know you're listening to something by Henry Purcell. And I, I really wanted to dig into that a little bit. Um, started looking at the anthems broadly. And what happened was I, I found one where I, I was reading the text first. Sometimes if I'm, if I'm looking at a piece, it's helpful to look at the words and imagine what, if I were, if I were the composer and I were going to set this, what would I do? Yeah. And so I was, I was doing that. And with one of the anthems in particular, I read the words and hit play on the track, and it really caught me off guard. It was not at all what I was expecting, and I thought, okay, something's, something must be going on here. Mm. And that was the genesis of that, of that project. Oh, that is really cool. What about Benjamin Britten? Are you a, a fan of his? I have a lot of respect for Britten. I enjoy singing Britain. I don't always listen to as much of his music. Okay, because Britain is another British composer yes. with, with a, quite a bit of choral 
in a lot of choral music. Um, Rejoice in the Lamb is a is a wonderful piece. Yeah, well, also very quirky and individual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's just the nature of of British musicians. It's it's hard to yeah, quite hard to know. Um, so. One of my favorite composers is is Jean Christian Sibelius, and he is often credited for compositions that had a profound impact on Finnish nationalism during a time when Finland was being really put upon, uh, pressed by by Russia. But I, I think that nationalism is such an easy facet of a composer's work to identify uh, because those themes, they, they really jump out in melodies. They're pretty straightforward. Um not so much with Purcell. What when you when you listen to Purcell and you listen to these themes, what is it that draws out that that maybe that political undertone, or some of the things that you love within his his melodies? Sure. So his um, one of his claim to fames is the ability specifically to deal with English text and prosody, the, the rhythms of English speech, um, and he even at the time. Uh, a lot of his contemporaries wrote and and said frequently that there was nobody around who could match him for his ability to set English the English language and make it sound like the English language when it was being sung. And there have been some really fascinating studies that have been done on English prosody and Purcell's music, and sometimes um, sometimes it's a little hard to hear it because the cadence of English speech, you go back three or 400 years, even spoken English sounded a little bit different. Mm. Uh, but in some cases, we can even learn something about how English was spoken from studying the music of mm. composers like Purcell, looking at the rhythms they use and say, well, if this is, if he was credited with being so amazing at, at English speech rhythm, and this is how he said it, maybe this is a little bit of a hint as to how they may have actually spoken. Wow, that's but, fascinating. Really yeah. cool. The um, the political angle came more out of this this surprise that I had listening to this setting of Psalm. I think it's Psalm 128. Blessed are they that, that fear the Lord, etc. Um, and expecting expecting music that then would be celebratory and cheerful and and sound like the Lord's blessings on a on a, a land whose ruler is faithful. Yeah. And it just when I turned on the track, it just sounded like a dirge. And I thought, there's okay, there's something going on here. So I looked into the history of the anthem, and like a lot of composers from from that long ago, sometimes we don't know um, exactly what the context for a specific piece was. Sometimes we don't even know the year. But in this case, we have a very specific um, piece of information. The bass soloist wrote the date of the first performance in his copy of the score, mm. which we have. And it was turns out it was written f- to celebrate the announcement of the pregnancy of the Queen of England, in 1687. And um, if you know anything about what was happening in England in the late 1680s, this is after the Civil War, and they brought brought the king back, the restoration after Oliver Cromwell. And so this is now Charles II, who's Catholic, and his wife, who is Italian and Catholic. Um, The heir to the throne was supposed to be his daughter's husband. This is William and Mary, who are over in Holland at that point. Um, unless he has another son. Um, so his new wife announces that she's pregnant, and everybody kind of freaks out. Um, and it wasn't just the Protestant Catholic thing. At that time, to be Catholic was to align yourself with the Catholic well, nations, headed yeah. by Louis Fourteenth in France. And there was some papal tension during that time, wasn't there? Quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit of tension. And Louis, of course, was the autocrat par excellence in Europe. 
um, he was um, tyrannical almost in his control of power. And to be Protestant was to align yourself with Holland, where the government was tending more and more towards uh, democratic or parliamentary, not exactly like it is now, but but definitely uh-huh. leaning that direction. So the nobility in England were okay with Charles as long as he didn't have a Catholic heir. The moment his Italian Catholic wife announces that she's expecting, everyone panics. This could be a long-term alignment with France, and we might lose our freedom here. So Purcell, of course, is now commissioned to write this anthem for the Chapel Royal, which is a Protestant institution. So the king and queen aren't going to be there. They just tell him, you have to write this piece. The constituency in the chapel is Protestant, and they're not happy about what's going on. So Purcell's, how how do I write this piece of music that is at least on the surface of celebration, but needs to also acknowledge how much tension the fact that, that basically nobody else in the entire country actually is excited for this. So that, that um, it took a while to, to dig into all of that, but it really went a long way to explaining why a piece that should be so happy and excited that's turns amazing. out to be that's, that's amazing. almost, it's beautiful, but it's, yeah. it's definitely not exciting. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's stories like this that are so glorious that they bring the songs to life. Yeah, and you're really glad that those uh, those guys didn't have Twitter back then, because there'd have been some pretty crazy Twitter war. Because I, don't... you if you if you dig into it, I found that actually people were it wasn't Twitter. Yeah, but things haven't changed much in 300 years. We'll put it. That That's way. what it's. I mean, there's nothing. God says there's nothing new under the sun, right? That's right. And uh, but the, it they just were, took a little bit longer to get the news. They were just as nasty back then. Just as, as that's out. that's kind of. I don't know if that's encouraging or not, Mr. Brown, but. Uh, well, it's interesting to me that music would have such a profound impact on on the people, and it was recognized. It, you know, we we think of classical music, and, and we think of it. Well, it's kind of stayed. It's it's a little yeah. dated, but in fact, it was. I mean, that was almost kind of like a Protestant anthem, if you will, or at least an expression of protestation. Yes. You know, that's very yes. interesting to me. Uh, Stravinsky, was it Stravinsky, Rites of Spring? Yes. And and what happened there? That That's kind of a good example of, of a crowd reacting. Yes. And also you were talking about nationalism. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, it's always interesting with composers who are known for being of a certain nationality. Whether we, um, whether, you know, they'll use the folk music of, of their country to, to showcase that. Or whether they kind of do their own thing and claim some sort of national um, identity within that, and then we come to recognize that as somehow Russian. So with Rite of Spring, of course, he was trying Russia and France, right, always trying to either either allied with each other or Russia's trying to distance themselves from France and, and in that way from Western Europe. And Stravinsky was trying to, at least on the surface, trying to tap into something primitively Russian, um, and he was very successful in convincing the rest of the world that there was something primitively Russian about Rite of Spring, um, performed in Paris, and famously, of course, provokes a riot. A um, riot. In really, the, the, really, the, the, because the choreography. Of, yeah. Because was, of a piece of, clo- of classical music and choreography. It, right, because it's a ballet. Okay. Um, and the choreography was, shall we say, not Tchaikovsky. Mm. And um, stories, true or not, stories are that people were slugging each other in the aisles of the concert hall. and Wow. Um, and Stravinsky probably didn't mind too much. He was always loved that. He Love always had a nose for publicity and notoriety. Yeah, interesting. So it, let's get into you know one of the things that I think Purcell has a reputation for, and I wonder if this is your perception, is his ability to appropriate scripture 
as a mm. piece within uh, within the choral music that he he produced yes. was quite. Um, I don't know if it was unmatched. I would be tempted. My uneducated perspective would be to say that at least in British music, it was unmatched. Um, but he must have been incredibly biblically literate. Yes, and that went as a as a professional church musician um, working in the Chapel Royal. He would have had to be like like any composer of that time. We had a position like that. He would have had to know his lectionary inside and out, the the scripture reading plan that would have covered the entire Bible in services, morning and evening services throughout the course of the year. Um, he would have known the book of Psalms inside and out because he had to set the Psalms so much for these anthems that were part of services. Um, he actually, in the piece I studied, went a step further. Um, there's no evidence to suggest it was somebody else. It was probably Purcell who rearranged the verses in the psalm to create um, a chiasmus, like a like a palindrome of ideas, mm-hmm. with an idea one idea at the center to give it special emphasis. So he moved a couple of the verses around to do this, and it puts this idea of the nation being blessed through the offspring of the ruler at the center of the of the structure of the of the poem. So yeah, he absolutely he absolutely knew scripture well and understood how to how to use scripture in a musical setting and how to use it um, structurally in a composition okay so as we as we wrap up today yeah. I want to I want to ask a question and uh, I, I wonder what you're gonna think of this question I have this theory that music is music is music at, at different dates and times different epochs throughout history um, popular music has always been a form of expression for the artist, and it takes different forms. So I'm thinking of, I, I enjoy making corollaries between classical music and contemporary pop music. And so, mm-hmm. for example, I correlate the music of Tchaikovsky with the music of Queen. It's okay. grandiose, right? It's glorious, sure. and, and it's quite yeah. exciting. Yeah. Uh, or, let's see, a, another example would be, I'm not a big Beatles fan, but I would, and I'm also not a big Mozart fan, but I, I equate the music of Mozart and the Beatles. I think the Beatles essentially mined, uh, they, they mastered the formula for the three-minute pop song, and then they, they mined that to great effect over the course of, of nine, ten albums. Uh, Mozart, you know, a little bit more accomplished, perhaps, but he did the same in my in my limited understanding. Um, music like uh, I would say Beethoven was more like Metallica, cool. a little bit more okay. forceful. What, if, in terms of Purcell, what would you say? If you were to equate his music Ooh, to a, a contemporary, one. well, first of all, is my idea of of corroboration between classical musicians and composers with popular musicians is it respectable at all, sir? Oh, I would think so, absolutely. And okay. I, I'll talk to my yeah. students about this too. Yeah, um, okay. I don't not always a one to one, but certainly finding those resonances. Okay. And you you mentioned sort of popular music. Um, it's really our, you know, our, our idea of this divide between sort of fine art music or classical music and popular music is not that old of an idea. Mm. It's really an enlightenment or post-enlightenment phenomenon that we have this, this entire genre of fine art music. There have, there have been other sort of elite art forms, of course, over the centuries, um, but it's not always been this sharp a divide. Okay. So I have a, feeling, uh, I have a feeling Mozart, I don't know that I would 
precisely agree with your um, qualitative evaluation of Mozart and the Beatles, but Love it. I think I think they would not <laughs> be surprised. Here in the booth. I think yeah. uh, I think they would not be terribly surprised. Yeah. I think Mozart would say, "Thank you, I'm flattered," yeah. <laughs> and the Beatles likewise. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about yeah. Purcell though? Would you? Would you? I mean, Ooh, at, at least from a, that one for a moment. from a thematic level. At a thematic level, yeah. Because you think, I mean, there was a little bit of subterfuge in, like, for example, the piece you described, where, where he was a little bit, yeah. Yeah. What would you? So for me, a lot of a lot of Baroque composers, not just not just Mozart, um, a lot of Baroque composers map pretty well onto jazz. There's mm-hmm. a sense of a sense of an underlying simplicity with a a lot of surface, um, a lot of surface complexity and a lot of style. In order to make sense of, of any Baroque composer, you really have to wrap your head around around a style that depends on a little bit more um, sense of improvisation from the musicians. Um, a really good Baroque band or choir is going to do quite a bit of improvising as they sing. And just mm. less of the music was written down, less of what really mattered to the music was written down. And much of what he wrote was chamber music, wasn't it? A lot of chamber music, um, some opera, some dramatic music. He did more of that than a lot of other English composers before or since. Um, but uh, a lot of it's a lot of it's very intimate, very very improvisatory, like a good jazz combo. All uh, right, but Dr. McNeil, you're not going to nail it down to a specific band and say, what? okay, Purcell was R.E.M. or Iron Maiden yeah. or Motley Crue. I don't know if I could go that far. I don't know if I could go that far. Um, I'll have to keep thinking about it. Right. I love I'll it. have to get back to you. <laughs> I, I just uh, I I don't I didn't geek out about the classical music. Mr. G's not a, a but the history of these songs really intrigued me. Yeah. I didn't know that was a a thing, and I mean just the 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 implications uh, like as a as a citizen that these these songs mattered. I, I do want to listen to this guy now. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your expertise. Yeah. Thanks thank for. You. Coming out to NCS, you got a, a, a long bus ride ahead of you, um, Dr. McNeil, and thank you so much for your time. Open invitation. Anytime Absolutely. your choir wants to return, I'm sure we'll we be hope, back. We hope to have you. Absolutely. Thank you. Wonderful. Yep. God bless y'all. Take care. Thank you. Northwest Christian School has made Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, charter school, or homeschool. Frameworks is an exciting new initiative utilizing the learning management system of Grand Canyon University. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com.